Um, thank you for your grace, Lord. Um, I know this week it's been, it's been good for me just to reflect um, upon the immense grace that you've shown me, that you've shown Cornerstone as a church. Um, and Lord, as we think about giving, I know I'm learning more about, about what giving is to look like. Um, Lord, you know that I have thought and practiced just about every wrong way of thinking about giving, every wrong practice of giving. Um, and Lord, you're still there um, guiding me, and I just thank you for that. Um, Lord, we just ask for your grace as we, as we learn right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, yeah I, as, as I said in the prayer, I've, I have probably thought every goofy thought about giving. I look back at my early years as a Christian and the ways that I conceptualized giving and um, really some weird stuff um, that I've, 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 positions I've held throughout, um, throughout my lifetime. And um, hopefully I'll get a chance to confess a little bit of that as we go through class today. Uh, t- today is the good stuff. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not terribly confusing. Um, I know the last class, uh, uh, the investments can get a little, um, a little crazy. There's a, lot, there's a lot to try to wrap your mind around. Uh, my advice to you is just to, to slow down, um, buy a book or two, relax, um, get some counsel, and then move, move forward in that. Don't, don't let it um, don't let it get you down. Don't let it confuse you. All right, listen, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about giving. Before we do that, um, I want to talk about, just briefly kind of remind us what we are up to. Um, this class is part of what Cornerstone is developing as our Equipping for the Journey series. It's a class dealing with um, how do we move? What are, the, what are the specifics of moving from brokenness to wholeness? And in doing this, at least my conception of it, is that we end up looking at um, a number of different areas um, of brokenness. Where are we broken? And then trying to look at how does the gospel come in to help us move from that brokenness to um, wholeness. <clears throat> and we want to, and the, the idea is to take the gospel to every single area of life. As Milton says, we want to tease out every implication of the gospel and bring that to bear on every area of life. And that, that's going to encompass our entire journey. Uh, we're going to, to leave this world still teasing out aspects of the gospel. And the good news is, is we're going to spend eternity um, enjoying um, the benefits of the gospel. And we're going to find today that when you talk about, um, you know, come, come back a little bit to the journey, the, the last step of the journey is, um, is, God, whoops, is gospel glory. That's our, that's our last step. And what we're going to find is that giving has a large impact 
on our gospel glory. How we live our lives in this world has um, a big impact of how we will spend eternity. Um, I don't fully understand that. I'm going to share with you the little bit I do understand about that. And the little bit I do understand about that is hugely encouraging to me. And um, I hope it will be encouraging to you also. When you know, somebody talks about storing up your treasure in heaven, you know, what in the world does that mean? Is there some stack of gold waiting for us when we get there? Um, what exactly does that look like? And what in the world connection is there between giving and that stack of gold or whatever it is that we're going to receive in eternity? That's always kind of confused me. And it's still to some degree that I don't completely understand it because I don't completely understand eternity. I'm not sure I understand very much of eternity at all, actually. Um, but what I do understand is amazing. And giving has a huge part to do with that. So we're going to explore that um, today. What we want to, the, the, the title of this is Giving Away Treasure Thoughtfully. Um, and I know for me, when, especially most of my Christian life, I've given. I've given, you learn very quickly in your Christian life that you're, you're supposed to give, give, give money to the church because, you know, the church does things and they need money and, and all of that. But for a long, long time, I never thought very deeply about it. I knew it was something I needed to do, uh, but my, the depth of my thought was not very great. Um, so let's take a, take a look at what Scripture says. It says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Hmm. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hmm. Um, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. And that's the emphasis. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed. So what does Paul want us to do before we give? Or what does he want the Corinthians to do before they give? Yeah, he wants them to think about it, right? He wants them to purpose in their heart. He wants them not just to give money. Um, he's not just interested in, the, in them giving. He's interested in the way they give it. He says, stop and think. Purpose in your heart. Think through the reasons for which you are giving this money. Why does Paul want them to do that? Well, um, I would argue is that it has to do with why God has given us the treasure to begin with. The primary reason for the treasure is to do what? Is to change us from brokenness to wholeness. And the more we think and purpose in our hearts about our giving, the more transformation we are going to see. And I know, I, I know about you, that does your heart default to giving? Mine doesn't. My heart, my heart does not default to giving. It just doesn't. My, my heart defaults to selfishness. That's the default setting, yeah. Well, yeah, when you're married, yeah, you're, you're, there are some... The, the, way, the way you think about money 
changes. Yeah, there's, just now, there's now some negotiations and some different things that are going on and different drains on, on, on money. I have to confess, though, um, even being married, my thinking about giving is, is still pretty selfishly focused. I just, I'm just better at, you know, masking and rationalizing my, my selfishness, um, for better or for worse. But my, I know that my heart does not default there. If I, if, I just, if I don't purpose, if I don't grab a hold of myself and say, Bill, you need to think about this. You need to be thinking about the, the riches that you have, the treasure that God is getting you. My default will be that, that the vast majority of the treasure will go to my own wacko ideas of pleasure. What? Vices? I'll buy bicycles, yeah. I'll buy, I'll buy bicycles with it. Um, not so much anymore, but yeah. Um, but I, I, default, I default that way. So I, I, really, I, I have to work at purposing my heart. And that means filling my heart with the reasons for giving. What is it? I, I want to think through and fill my heart and explore all of the avenues that giving um, has for me. How does it change me to think about this? I don't want to just give. Uh, I know in the past, my giving was, if, if a need came up, yeah, okay, I, I you know, open my wallet, there's a couple of bucks, yeah, I, I've given. Um, you know, on a Sunday, you, know, they pass, you, you pass around the plate, I go, oh yeah, I should give a couple bucks to the church. Oh, there's a couple bucks to the church. Was that purposing my heart? No, there was no purposing. There was no thinking through this. There was just, this is what you're supposed to do. Or there would be something that was presented to me that would, that would capture me emotionally. And I would open up my wallet and give money. Sometimes a little bit, sometimes more. But it was, it was very much in resistance. It was a response. And then it was, it was over and done with. But Paul says to purpose our hearts, um, to think about it, so that we magnify the blessing and the transformation power of the giving. Um, Howard Dayton gives, um, describes three, or not three, four advantages of giving. And I'm going to give you a fifth one. That's, that's my own, and you, you, may, you may agree or disagree with mine. Howard Dayton's are pretty good. Um, number one, um, Howard Dayton says that giving um, creates increased intimacy with God. That thinking about giving creates increased intimacy. Um, does uh, Jesus identifies with the poor? In fact, Jesus goes all the way to say that when you give to the needy, you are giving to me personally. That's the depth to which his heart um, is tied to those who are in need. And so when I am thinking about giving or giving, I am engaging in something where I'm, I'm, I'm coming beside Jesus and saying, this is you. I am in a certain sense ministering to you. You are here in this. There, there's an intimacy there um, in the giving. Okay, this is not... Uh-oh, this thing is supposed to work all the time. This is not my gadget. This is uh, okay. So anyway, um, let's let's go ahead and move on to the um, to uh, the next the next thing here. Hopefully, this will come back alive here in a minute. Uh, the second thing that 
um, that, that Howard Dayton says comes from giving is development of character. Uh, development of character. And I think one of the best places to look for development of character is to look at um, Paul's letter to the Philippians, especially the, um, the second chapter. What, what is the goal of our character development? In fact, what is actually um, the goal of being whole? What, is, what, what would we say it looks like? Looks like Jesus, yeah. It's, it's to be transformed into the image of God's Son. That is, um, that is giving. Did Jesus give? Giving pretty much defines his life. Um, all the way to what it says in Scripture that he became poor that we might become rich. It doesn't get any probably more radical than that. Uh, he became poor that we might become rich. So giving um, makes us or, or transforms us to be more like Jesus. And we have treasure to do that. God gives us his treasure, not our treasure, his treasure, so that we can give it away so that we can be transformed into the image of his son. That's pretty radical. So the more, the more, the more we understand treasure that way, um, the more power there is in giving it away. Um, the third one, and, and I hope I can do justice to this, um, is that we are making an investment for eternity. But there's a sense in which when we give, we are investing in our eternal future. Um, scripture says, um, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. That's what happens to treasures on earth. Yeah, they deteriorate. Right? There's moths and rust and thieves uh, breaking and steal. Yeah. True. You know, I put a lot of energy into keeping my junk um, you know, up to speed. You got to clean it. You got to oil it. You got to, you know, um, you got to wash it and you get, put it someplace where the bugs don't get it and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moss and rust destroy, but w- where thieves break in and steal, so we got to protect it. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in steel. So Jesus seems to be saying there's some way we can take the stuff here that rots and we can move it to where it doesn't. To where we'll have it for all eternity. What in the world does that mean? Any any, any ideas? Okay, so, so, so there's, a, there's a heart transformation there. 
that when we when we when we let go of these things that rot and and destroy, our, our our hearts are being transformed to be different. And that difference will go with us where? It's going to go with us through eternity. Those changes in our heart are going to go with us through eternity. Okay, good you guys, you guys are helping me out here. That 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 I think is a big part of it. That is a big, big part of it. But it's not all of it. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I mean, we, we're investing. Um, what my poor, sad brain is trying to wrap itself around is um, what does that exactly mean? What does that look like? You know, I give my money to, um, you know, a ministry that does, you know, evangelism. I give my money to a ministry that uh, trains pastors. I give my, my money to a ministry that feeds the poor. How does that how does that translate into treasure in heaven? It, it changes my heart. Obviously, I'm now I'm now holding those things loosely. They don't have that hold on me that they once had. I'm, I'm sort of ripping myself away from the shackles of materialism, which is especially in our culture really powerful. So I'm breaking those shackles. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Maybe I came from my mother's womb, and maybe I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Mm. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he wrong God. So Job had learned through worship that, and what we need to learn is Thank that you, John. Mm. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 a it's a giving, a giving away, and that is it's training us or transforming us to be worshipers of God, which is what we were created uh to be. Okay, let me, let me, let's, let's look at another passage of scripture and um, 
share another thing that I think that really moves me at least. Uh, this is in Second Corinthians in in uh, chapter nine. If, if probably the longest chunk of teaching on giving is Second Corinthians eight and nine. That's just a huge passage if you want to sort of unpack um, different aspects of giving. But in uh, nine twelve through fifteen. Um, Paul writes this. He says, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Here's where it gets good. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they, who's they? The, The people who are receiving this gift that Paul is collecting, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel. So my giving actually does what? It it transforms other people when I give to them. Because they're being transformed by my obedience to what the gospel means. The gospel means to give. And that is helping them to better understand and wrap their minds around the gospel. They are seeing, in a certain sense, a physical embodiment of what the gospel means. And they're rejoicing because of that. And he goes on, um, of Christ, for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also by prayer on your behalf. And here's, he says, they yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God In you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. They yearn for you. What's the only thing that crosses the divide between this world and heaven? My my bicycles aren't going, my bicycles aren't going, right? Uh, My drum sets aren't going. Um, all the things, all my cool computers aren't going, all that goes across it are people. So if I'm going to store treasure, that treasure is most likely going to have to be in people. And that's what it says here. It says that, that these the people who've received this gift now yearn for you. Your hearts have been tied together in some way that I would argue crosses that barrier and becomes treasure in heaven. Um, and, and I've begun to think about this, that if, if I don't give, does that mean I won't experience salvation? No. But I think it does mean that my experience throughout eternity will be in some way stunted. That's not a negative. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be negative here and say you better give or you're gonna you're gonna be a, you're gonna be a, a you know a, you know a weenie in heaven or something like that. You know that's that's not my that's not my point. You know, but my point is there's 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 something about the relationships we'll have for eternity because we have given in this life. I don't know all what that means, but it is hugely an encouragement for me to give. It's something that takes my um, my selfish heart and changes it. That I can now look forward to meeting people in heaven to whom I've given money. They yearn 
in some way, I don't even understand this, there's, there's a building of a bond and a relationship that, that, trans, that goes across that barrier and is my treasure in heaven. Does that make sense? And that's very encouraging to me because um, I do not default to giving. I've seen some of that, you know, in this life, you know, where when I've taken my treasure and poured not only my treasure, but my, but my life into a ministry, there is a bond that develops there that is very hard to describe. It's a, it's a very different um, kind, of, kind of thing. Um, and <clears throat> to be able to experience that throughout eternity is, um, I think, um, an amazing thing to look forward to. Okay, so giving now leads to relationships, deeper relationships, more amazing relationships for all eternity. Cool stuff. Um, it also, um, giving also in, uh, leads to increased material blessings. Um, this does not mean that, this is not the health, no, you didn't walk into a health and wealth uh, seminar. Uh, no. Yeah, that's not that's not the point. Yeah, give give to my ministry, and God will will uh, will make you make you wealthy. That's not the point here. We don't give to get; we give to to glorify God. And we also, if if, if you know, um, Paul says in in Second Corinthians, we give to be able to give more. That as we give, God blesses us, so we so we are able to do even more good works, you know, to, 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 make, to increase our prosperity. Um, we give more so we have an abundance for every good deed. So we give to be able um, to give, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, Paul, said, Paul says in Acts that, um, that Jesus taught that to, to give is more blessed than to receive. And I think the only way you can make sense of that is that because, you, because you're giving away stuff. You're going, look at my stuff. Um, there goes my stuff. Um, that there, there's something going on there that, that's, that's much deeper. Michelle? Yeah. But we've also, as you guys 
financially give, um, <coughs> you know, out of the abundance of what we have, you know, to, to, to help somebody and to bless them and that was a love of my sister. Um, but that came to us in a huge way um, because our hearts were able to just um, trust God with that. So I <coughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Piper says that God's always doing a million things, um, and and when we're giving, yeah, there's we're it, we're we're part of that that, that crazy thing that that the, the it just multiplies those millions of things that are happening. There's all kinds of ripple effects of the giving that that we don't even we don't even realize. Um, even when we even when we feel like we've gotten burned. In giving, um, I know there's, there's been times when I've given and I felt I have felt that I've gotten burned in giving, but there is good that comes out of that. There's good that comes out of that, and um, one of the things I'm going to talk about, you know, a little bit later on um, is, you know, where do you give? When you're going to give. Where do you give that money? Um, and what Michelle's talking about is one of the advantages of giving to your local church. Because in the local church, you get to deal with the messiness of it. Right? You get to, you get to, that's, that's, that, that sounds, what? Right? Giving, giving to your local church is not clean. It's not like you just write it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not, it's not clean. It's messy. You know, I, what, what, what do they do with that? What do they buy over there? You know, or I, I help so-and-so and, you know, and you go, but that's, that's the messiness that transforms us. It's, it's, it's going through all of that. It's that not just writing a check and saying, well, oh, that ministry is doing great. I get all these glossy, um, I don't want okay, watch my attitude, what I'm saying. I'm not trying to make a point against, you know, good communication about needs around the world, but it's giving to your local church is not clean giving. And, and I think because it's not clean giving, it has, it has transformation potential that is beyond the simple, you know, writing of a check. And that, to me, is a good thing. And, that's, and, God, and God wants that. God wants us to walk towards the messiness. Um, not, just, not just to give cleanly. We, we may give and, and get burned. But that getting burned and being part of the process of dealing with getting burned and all those kinds of things, those are transformative processes. That's actually the good stuff. Um, we, we grow more when we move towards the messiness. That, that's, that's not my default. My default is when it gets messy, I want to run. You know, I don't like messy. Uh, you know, I, you know I've, I've spent you know, quite a long time on... Um, as an elder here at Cornerstone, and most of that time I have been on the finance committee. And what that means is a lot of conversation about money. The church is money. And it's messy. It's messy. You're talking about priorities and this, that, and the other thing. It's messy. And there, there's times where you're frustrated, and there's times where you're, 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 you're asking all kinds of questions. But it is a good messy. It's a good messy. Um, at the at the end, you know, you you you. Well, we're going to get to the part about more about why give to your local church um, here in a minute. But there's some there's some real amazing things that I never realized um, back when I was a, a, 
a young pup or whatever. Those were, they were always those church leaders, and they're over there doing stuff. Yeah. And I never thought, I never thought there was any, any way in the world I'd ever be one of those guys. Those guys over there doing stuff, and I don't understand what they're doing. You know, it's, they're, yeah, I don't know. They're, they're super spiritual or they're something. I don't know. Um, the other aspect of giving is that it can be fun. I just mean fun. Howard Dayton didn't say this. But secular people have realized this. Um, people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, these guys, they are, they are committing um, to, um, to give away huge amounts of their, their treasure. And these guys are ridiculous rich. Bill Gates, I think, has something in the neighborhood of you know, $70 billion or something. It changes because it's, it's mostly stock, and stock is, stock is not money. Um, but um, <laughs> um, so it changes, you know, depending upon the value uh, of the stock. But he's committed himself to giving away almost all of it during his lifetime. Or after he dies, it will be given away. And, there, and if, if you read, um, and I, I'm actually fascinated by the Mill and, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, uh, they just love it. It's like, it's, like a second, it's like a second life to them. They're just having the greatest time in, the, in their lives giving away um, their money. It's messy. Uh, they've gotten involved in public education, and there's nothing more messy than trying to change public education. Uh, and they've done some good, and they've gotten burned, and uh, all kinds of things have happened to them, but they're having, they're having a lot of fun at it. And, and giving is... It is fun. You get to do things and be involved in things that, that are really cool. I know when we were in Uganda, that was, it was just, there was a sense in which it was just fun. You know, I got to do things I like to do, and I was giving away stuff, but it was, it was, a, it was very much a fun thing. Um, another example of this that I like to use, this is actually one of my heroes, is Solomon Khan of the Khan Academy. Um, here's a guy who's, who, he, the guy is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. He's got a couple of degrees from MIT. He was, a, he was a manager in a hedge fund, making lots of money. And he started tutoring his cousins, I think, in math. And then he, he, couldn't, he couldn't meet with them all the time, so he started making YouTube videos. Eventually, other people started watching the YouTube videos and sending him messages. And then eventually, he got so into it, he quit his job and, and basically spent all day in his Okay, in his closet, making these videos on how to do math. And it's all free. Yeah, the, the, mission, the mission of the Khan Academy, every time I hear it, it just, it just blesses me. I just, it's, it's one of the greatest vision statements uh, to me of, of any organization I know of. It says, our mission is to provide a free, world-class education to anyone, anywhere. Oh, I mean, that's... A teacher's heart, man, that's, that's, that's amazing. And um, Solomon Khan, from all I can tell, is having a blast doing this. He still makes the videos. He's now got a multi, he's gotten money from Bill Gates and all these cats. And he's just having a blast doing this. He's got a, um, a huge, he's got a much larger, he's no longer in his closet. Uh, and he's having a great time. And he has a really interesting attitude about money. He's not really interested in in making a lot, making a lot of money, he's he's got very modest, um, you know. He he understands to live in the West and to have a car and to have running water and all those kinds of things. That that's that really makes you wealthy, 
and he, he kind of adopted that attitude, and he's just having a, a blast. Um, you know, he's, not, he's no longer, you know, a um, hedge fund manager ma- making, you know, hedge fund manager money, but he's just having a blast. And so there's secular people who are just understanding that giving and being involved in giving yourself away to the world to do great things is just a blast. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Not spiritual that was, but... Um, but it is, it's fun. And I think God's designed us that way and, and secular people are just un, are, are discovering something as part of common grace. It's part of being a human being. Giving is, is a greater blessing than receiving. Common grace. Okay, thinking about how much to give. Uh, that's, that's, that's a big question. Thinking about um, how much to give. Um, once again in Corinthians, um, Paul says, for I testify... That according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. So how much do we give? Is there, is there a formula? Um, often uh, in the church, to, to try to wrap our minds around because it's, it's a hard you know, it's kind of a hard thing to, to, to think about. I know when I was younger, I had no clue how much to give. You know, I, I, I really did not give it much thought. But I think we need to stop and give it some thought. You know, how much do we give? We should be thinking about that on a regular basis. If thinking about your giving is a transformative thing, doing it often would be good. And Paul actually talks about that, you know, at least once a week. He says, you know, every, on every, um, every Lord's Day, you know, set aside so much, you know, money to, to, to prepare for my collection. He wants you at least once a week stop and, and think about it. So how much would we give? Well, <clears throat> one um, place um, <clears throat> we, can, we can look at is we can compare ourselves to others. I don't advise this. Um, uh, it says, according to the Gallup organization, those who attend weekly church services give 3.4% of income annually, whereas non-religious people give 1.1% to 1.4%. Other estimates indicate the percentage of income given by professing Christians to church and kingdom causes at between 1.5 and 3.5% of income. The midpoint's about 2.5 or 2.6, somewhere in there. So who knows exactly? Probably somewhere around 3 or 4% of income. And the truth is that a fairly large percentage of people who attend church don't give anything at all or give, you know, almost nothing at all. So the, the, the three point, you know, the 2.5 percent is, is somewhat skewed by the fact that you've got people giving really large, large, large amounts in the church. So if you're comparing yourself to others, it's easy to look good in, in the church. There's not the giving... If you read many of the articles, everyone is, you know, it's a common thing that there's, the giving in the church is, is, is down. I was reading one article that said, even, I don't know how, the, I was saying, how do you know this? They were saying in, in the 1930s during the Great Depression, Christian giving was 3.3%. I don't know how you know that, but, you know, I, I guess they found some way to figure that out. Yeah, that's next. Yeah, we're talking about the tithe. 
uh, thinking about the tithe. What a, what a lot of people will do is they will turn, very common in the church, to turn to the tithe, the giving of the tithe, the 10%. Right? And this was, this was a command given to um, the nation um, of Israel. It says, you shall surely tithe all produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your, your, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So the first fruits, 10% of the first fruits. Now, the $25,000 question, then number one, number one, that's not the only tithe. Um, there was, um, that was, that was the, the, that this tithe was primarily um, to um, the, the temple and those who, um, who dealt with the temple. There was also tithes that looked somewhat like um, taxes because Israel is a nation. There was also a, I think every third year, there was a tithe for the poor. So there were, there were actually probably three tithes. It probably averages out to something like 23%, 24% was what the actual tithe was. But that gets confused because some of it, you might say, was just like our taxes and whatnot. But the $24,000 question is, um, what about the tithe in the new covenant? You know, we are under grace. We are not under law. Um, and that's the way, you know, I thought for, you know, a long time. I'm, I'm under grace. You know, this, all this tithe thing doesn't have any um, application to me. Um, and it's true. If, if I, 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 there's some things in the handout where I kind of go through so, uh, briefly some of the arguments for the tithe in the New Testament and some of the arguments against the tithe being a New Testament concept. Um, it's interesting to me, at least, that when Paul is writing things like um, you need to give to those who preach the gospel to you, you need to give to your teachers and whatnot, he never mentions the tithe in there at all. It's never... He never says anything about the 10% or anything like that. That's interesting to me. Um, but I think that, that Howard Dayton's conclusion is probably, to me, a, a good summary. He says, the New Testament, the tithe is neither specifically rejected or specifically recommended. It does teach us to give in proportion to our material blessings um, we have received and especially commends sacrificial giving. Um, and my feeling is, and and. Uh, if you really want to get a really good, Randy Alcorn, man, he will just, he makes a huge argument for this um, in um, Treasure Principle and his other books that if 10% is what God is desiring under law, right, what would, how, how should we look at that being under grace? Should, should our conclusion be that our giving is less. Now, I, I, me operating, you know, when I was younger on the basis of, you know, I said, well, I, I, I'm a grace giver. You know, I give when God touches my heart. You know, I'm not bound by the law anymore. Translation was, I didn't think a whole lot about giving. And I didn't give a whole lot. But I thought I was giving a whole lot. You know, I thought I was doing pretty darn well. I, if, you, if you asked me, are you a generous person? I would have said yes. But I had no idea how much I was giving because I never really thought very much about it. 
In some ways, I was a gen- I was. I, in some ways, I was a generous person. I did, you know. I, but I, you know, I was not thinking about it ten percent or anything. I was, you know, I was just. I'm a grace giver. But I, I think if I ever look back at it, I probably wasn't giving very much um, at all. Um, and um, Randy Alcorn makes the case, and I think it's a really good case, is that under grace, what we should be looking at is the ten percent if it's anything, would be a starting point only. It would be where you begin your giving. You know, it's not, it's not the upward measure of it. <clears throat> and, and that's kind of the position I take. Now, is, is, that, is, that a, is that the law? Would I say every Christian has to give 10%? No. But I'm saying Scripture calls us to think deeply about this. And I think we do need to think about the tithe. I don't think it's wrong to think about the tithe. It would be wrong for me to say that, that the tithe applies to Christian, that, that God demands 10% from you. I, I, I would not say that. I don't think the New Testament um, argues that. <laughs> but I, like, as Randy Alcorn says, I would have a very hard time making the case that grace giving would be less than the tithe. Hard, hard to make that case. Um, yeah. You mean giving time rather than money? Is that what you're saying? Money going, money going through, money going through the leadership. Um, my take on that would be that um, I, I think, I think it's perfectly okay. I think that, I, in fact, I think it's a good thing that we that we give money directly to to each other and meet each other's needs. I think that's absolutely, absolutely scriptural. But I, I don't, and I, and I think I think it leads to good. It can lead to bad. You can get burned and things happen. But that's, to me, the, the messiness is the good part of it. The messiness is good. Um, but but giving, doing that exclusively, um, I, I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's scriptural. You see it in Acts. I don't want to use Acts as necessarily this is the model for the modern church. But you do see the money being brought to the church. Paul does not write letters to individuals. Paul writes letters to churches. And there seems to be an indication that that money is collected in the church. And there's, and there's something to be said for the role of elders in the handling of God's resources. That the, the, the money, the money being, being overseen by wise elders is something I think that is, that is scriptural and good and um, in, quite honestly, our world and their world, um, there's a lot of shenanigans going on uh, that it's a, it's a preventative um, from shenanigans happening. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, that's a good question. I mean, that's a very, very good question. Um, and I, and I, it, there's, there's part of us, especially as North American Christians, we have a very, at least I do, maybe, maybe you guys are better than I am, I am very autonomous in my thinking. You know, I am very autonomous. I don't, 
I, I, I'm the judge. You know, I'm the judge. Doggone it. Yeah. And, you know, if these guys can't spend the money right, there's lots of ministries out there that are much more effective. Or I'll just give the money directly to people. Uh, that's not a good, that, that's, that's not healthy. Now, I'm not saying that, that the elders are doing, the elders are necessarily making the best decisions in the world. But that's not healthy. Right? It's not healthy. You're, 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 you're running away from the mess or you're ignoring the mess. Um, if, if, if you're in a church and you don't feel comfortable um, with the wisdom of the elders in your church, then you need to walk towards that mess. Not as a complainer or whatever, but you need to get that worked out somehow. Not as, you know, don't, don't just say, well, you know, these guys, I don't trust you. That's not good. That's, that's not why we're in the body. We're in the... Oh, I think that way. That's, that's, I'm, that's me. No, every, pretty much every stinky attitude towards giving I have held at some point in my life. And I, and I still have crud. I still have crud inside of me where I'm, where I'm making decisions about giving that are, I would argue, not really full. They're not, they're not leading me towards wholeness. Um, they're, they're things I'm doing because... Yeah. yeah, we need to be very. We need to think a lot about our giving, um, and let it change us. And if we're noticing our and our giving can take us the other way too. If you start withholding money because you have some kind of beef, um, that's that's not a good thing. Um, you're, you're not making your point. You're just hurting you. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, go to the go, run towards the mess, and I know it's it's not easy to do. I don't like doing it either. That was one of the hardest things about being an elder is that, you know, um, that's kind of that's kind of that's the job description is you run towards the messes. Um, it's kind of like you know the Marines, you know, and you know you're running towards the conflict, you know, not you know when everybody else is trying to escape the, the battle, you're running into it, you're running into the fire. Um, um, the other thing you want to think about in giving is you want to think a lot about grace. Um, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Yeah, just think, think a lot about grace. Think about the grace that you've been shown. Um, just think a lot about grace when you think about, think about giving. Just dwell Upon that, Jesus gave until he became um, poor. Um, how much to give? Ask God what he wants done with his treasure. Um, there's a link in the handout, and when you get the, the emailed link, you can actually click on it rather than typing in all those letters. Um, Randy Alcorn, I think, has a list of 40 questions to ask God, something like that. And oh boy, hold on, um, hold on to your seat. Um, but I, I, they're very challenging questions, uh, but they go, but they go to the heart of giving. And I, I, I've been reading those questions and I've been contemplating those questions. They're not easy questions. They reveal some, some difficult stuff, but talk to God about his treasure. Talk to him, ask, ask him some tough questions. Um, and Randy, if you, if you don't know what to ask him, you read Randy Alcorn, he'll get you started. And like I say, hold on to your seat. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's good stuff. 
Um, um, where do you give? Um, and this is, this is something, what's, what's, what's I normally call myself? I called myself for a long time, still am. I am a church, I don't know, something about it. But for most of my life, I didn't really understand what, what the local church was all about. I was really goofy in my thinking about local church. And part of it is that autonomy. You know, I'm the judge. You know, church leaders, well, you know, I'll just pick up my stakes and move in, move somewhere else. You know, if they're not doing what I want them to do. Um, you know, I had no concept that the mess um, was, could, could be a good thing. But in the New Testament, um, New Testament giving is typically within the local church. There, I, I don't think that parachurch ministries are wrong or anything, or giving directly to people. is, is It's all good stuff. But in the New Testament, um, the huge amount of giving is within the local church. Um, the one who is, and there's some things where specifically, um, the one who was taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Um, we definitely have a responsibility. And I know when I was an elder, that was something we took very, very seriously was, you know, those who are set aside to teach the word of God need to be, um, taken care of by the, by the church. And that, that's a very serious, um, biblical responsibility. But the other thing that giving together does, giving to local church does, is that it changes your heart. And Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 2, he says, make my joy complete by being what? Of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. How, how does that happen? It's messy. It does it, this this kind of thing where you where, where you're united in one purpose. It's not some kind of ethereal thing, you know. Well, we have unity. No, it's a messy thing. It comes through making tough decisions, and um, it it comes hugely by talking through and working through how we spend the corporate finances of our body. <clears throat> and it says, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but that all things were common property to them. So there's, you know, as, as an American born and bred, raised, I have strong feelings of autonomy. You know, I want, I'm, I'm the judge. Yeah. I, I don't have to get involved in the mess. I'm the judge. Kaboom. Uh, I, I don't think that's what Scripture teaches. I think Scripture teaches that, you, you, no, you are not the judge. You need, you need to walk into the messiness and be part of the becoming of one, one purpose, united in one, in one purpose. Um, it's messy. It's hard. Um, but don't just sit back and say, you know, I don't agree with whatever. Get, get involved in the mess. Get involved in the mess. And give to the mess. Um, um, giving together is messy. It requires developing a common vision. That's tough. It requires humility. You gotta, you've got to be humble to be in the mess. It requires putting others before ourselves. It moves us from brokenness to wholeness. Um, churches are messy places. Um, uh, parachurch ministries tend to look good. You know, I, I, I know that you look at, you look at a parachurch ministry and you go, man, these, these, guys, are, these guys are changing everything. And, and may, very, may very well, they, they are a great ministry. The local church, 
Oh my gosh, this is my people. That's my elders and these goofy people and whatnot. And, and, and you know, you're, still, you're weighing where to give. Well, I'm autonomous. I'm the judge. Just be careful about that. Be careful about that. You want, you want to, the mess is a good thing. What about giving to parachurch organizations? There's, in, in our world, there's lots of good going on through the parachurch. Um, but think about giving through your local church. Um, has your church, is your church par- partnered with any kind of parachurch ministries to do things that they are too small to do? Um, for example, in the community, um, feeding the hungry. Um, maybe your church doesn't have a ministry to feeding the hungry. Are they partnered with someone who does? This may be parachurch, but, the, but, but you can partner with them. Those are, those are really good things where there's sort of this, 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 this link between parachurch organizations and local local churches. I know when I was in college, I was very much into InterVarsity. Um, InterVarsity at that point did not have super strong um, connections to local churches, and it just reinforced my autonomy. Um, I, had, I, I, I went through college with really no understanding, of, hardly any understanding of the local church. In fact, I was a little bit arrogant towards the local church. You know, these are the, these are the old fuddy-duddy people who aren't doing anything. You know, we are the people. I'm on the front lines. You know, I'm on InterVarsity. I'm in there in the college classroom. You know, I'm standing up for Christ. Well, you know, all this kind of stuff. And local church, ah, it's a bunch of old fuddy-duddies who just kind of just sit and, you know, they, you know, they give their money every Sunday. And, and it's kind of, a, it just, it just was like, was like, wah. Yeah. There was InterVarsity. You know, ah, we were doing the book table and doing all kinds of great stuff. And you go to church and it's like, mm. <clears throat> but <clears throat> partnerships between parachurches and, um, and churches, I, I think, are great, 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 great things, um, especially college ministries. You know, if college ministries can, can partner with local churches, that is a tremendous thing. Um, ask questions with a careful mind and an open heart. Um, I've given you, also given, given you a link to um, Randy Alcorn's list of questions to ask parachurch ministries. And those questions do need to be asked. Um, you don't want to become callous or anything like that, but you do want to ask tough questions. I would, the phrase I like to use is a careful mind and an open heart. Um, it's easy to get callous. You know, you read stuff in the newspaper about ministries doing funky things with money or what, it's easy to get callous. I do not want to get callous. I, w- I want my heart to stay open, but I want my mind to stay sharp. Right? I want my mind sharp and my heart open. Um, <clears throat> closing your heart is lazy. I used to tell my students that all the time because they would get, you know, they would get turned off to something, and I'd say that's lazy. You know, you you, you need to <laughs> just because you don't like something or whatnot. No, you got to think about it. Um, leaving a legacy, uh, managing your treasure that's left behind. Um, scripture says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Um, we don't have much time left. In fact, we have no time left. But you do want to think through this. You do want to think about what you want to leave your children, what impact you want your legacy to have on your children. Plan your legacy. In fact, if your legacy is not written down legally, um, you don't really have a legacy. Because uh, somebody else is going to make the decisions about what you leave behind. So you really do want to sit down and, even if you're young, plan out your legacy. 
Um, do you want your children to have everything, or do, are, is, are there ministries? Is it good for your children to, to inherit everything? That could be a bad thing. You, know, you want to think through that. It could be bad for your children to get everything you've accumulated all in one, one, one drop. So you want, you want to think through that. You want to get it in writing. You want to talk it out. Um, and you can leave behind a great gospel legacy. Um, um, even after um, you are gone. And I'm going to skip this last um, quote, and I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll be officially um, done. Lord, thank you just for your um, wonderful and good grace. I thank you for being with us during these six um, sessions that we've had together. Um, Lord, let's pray you would continue to challenge us. Um, Lord, if this is your treasure. Um, help us just to know how to manage it, how to manage it well. Um, thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.